Welcome. You are listening to the Cover to Cover podcast, lively conversations with cutting edge authors, hosted by Mary Elizabeth Jackson. Mary is an author, advocate, and educator. Join us to find your new favorite author, book, or inspiration. And now, here's Mary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cover to Cover podcast. Now, I know that in uh, our lifetimes, all of us have been affected by change. We've been affected by loss, and um, some losses are felt deeper than others. Uh, Today on my show, I'm really excited to be talking to Melissa M. Monroe. Now, she's an acupuncturist and an author. We're going to talk about her journey of losing her two-year-old daughter and her sleep to unknown causes, and it is a very sensitive subject. Uh, It's a very deep subject, but it's one that needs to be talked about. And um, we're going to be discussing her book, Mom's Search for Meaning, Grief and Growth After Child Loss. Melissa, welcome to the show today to Cover to Cover. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Mary. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to have you here. And um, I, let's see, I wanted to just let everybody know that you live in Los Angeles with your daughter, Grace. And um, you were born in Yuma, um, Arizona. You studied at Loyola University in Chicago. That was a little tongue twister there, but I know how to say it. <laughs> you studied modern dance um, at the University of Chicago. And then in 95, you moved to California to train in Pilates, yoga, and acupuncture. And you are a professional, which is very important in those, uh, uh, those, acad- those lines of work, aren't you? So Melissa, welcome to the show. And, um, you know, there are subjects out there that are very taboo. There are subjects that aren't talked about very much, and this is one of them. And so, you know, the, one of our goals today is to raise awareness about this subject for any other families who have ever been, uh, through this or know someone who has, uh, whether here in the U S or globally, you know, and with that, you know, what made you want to tell this story? Because there are stories that some people just can't find a way to tell. So what made you feel brave enough to want to tell the story? Uh, Great question. Thank you for asking it. When it first happened, we didn't know what happened. So Alice's death was classified as sudden unexplained death in childhood or SUDC, which it's not SIDS, but similar to SIDS in that it's a, it's a diagnosis of, it's a classification of exclusion, meaning <clears throat> they cannot identify a cause of death after a thorough autopsy and death investigation that lasted months. While SIDS is for newborns to one-year-old, SUDC affects children one to 18. And it is the fifth leading cause of death in toddlers. Most of the children or a good percentage of the children are toddlers, but it can and has happened to kids as old as 17 and 18 and as young as one year, two months. So no, we didn't know what happened, which meant no one that loved us knew what happened. And I was in complete shock and not the kind of we now throw that word around. We bet we banter that word like it's nothing, but I, I was in true psychological and medical shock and couldn't really speak. 
So everyone was showing up at our house to support us and I couldn't really speak and I could tell they wanted to know what happened as much as we knew what happened, but they didn't know if it was okay to ask or if they shouldn't ask. And I just thought, well, I'll just start writing. Uh, I'll, I'll write it and they can read it if they want me. They, they cannot read it if they don't want. And actually the very first thing that I wrote was the neighborhood mom's club asked if they could dedicate their next month's newsletter to Alice. And of course I said, yes. And they said, Oh, we'll, we'll ask moms to write in their remembrances. And my, my stomach just went into a knot because we were relatively new to the neighborhood and I was a working mom. So I wasn't at most of the events and it, uh, I, I just became paralyzed with fear that no one would know her well enough to properly eulogize her. So I wrote and asked them, would it be okay if I also wrote something? And they said, of course. And I did three weeks after she died. And that was the first time that I felt like my brain worked at all. So that was posted and I received a ton of support and I, I found it very healing and I thought, oh, I can string a sentence together. I just can't speak a sentence together. And I knew everyone wanted to know what happened. So I started a blog with what I wrote for the mom's club. And then the next entry was what happened. And I, and I just kept going. And along the way, uh, some writer friends kept nagging me to make it a book. So I did. Well, I, you know, that is a very unique story. Um, Melissa, wow. I, I, there are just no words. I, I can't even imagine. I, as a, from mother to mother, I, it's like, as you're talking, your, your, your descriptions are very vivid. So I, I am thinking as you're talking, what that must've been like, and still nobody ever really knows how you feel until they're in your shoes going through that. And so uh, from mother to mother, it's a heart that goes, I mean, I I don't know how you, I mean, I'm so grateful that we're sitting here talking today and that you can give a voice to your child, you know, for other families. And that is a, a, a great feat, isn't it? Because like you said, you were at a place where you couldn't even talk. I, um, you know, nobody really knows how something like that will affect them. But what, a, what an amazing no, they, people think they do. They say, I couldn't, I, I couldn't go on. And I'm like, well, I remember being a single girl with no kids thinking I could never live. If I lost a kid, I always loved kids, even as a kid. Uh, and then I remember having my babies and Sandy, Hook. I write, I write about this in mom's search for meaning. I, uh, Sandy Hook and the, the fire in Stamford on Christmas Eve, uh, the, to Madonna Badger, where she lost both of her parents and all of her children happened not long before Alice died. And I remember I, I had to stop watching the news because I thought if Madonna Badger ever puts one foot in front of the other, she's the strongest human on this earth. I've never heard anything worse. I don't know what you would do. I would surely die. And then unfortunately it happened to me. And one, I had a, another kid that I need to be here for. I have grace and so it wasn't really, you know, I didn't want to do that to her. And also, you know, I don't know what the statistics are 
in total, but I don't believe that there's a higher suicide rate amongst uh, bereaved parents. I will have to check that, but I've never read it about, I've never read anything like that in any of the literature because I think what happens to most parents is they feel an overwhelming responsibility to make life better and their little corner of the world better in their child's memory and to create some kind of legacy in their name. It's certainly how I felt. And I've met many, many, many bereaved parents that feel the same. Well, and you touched on something, you know, I, I how, how has your daughter fared through this? Because, you know, it's, it's like, um, the, the world said, okay, this has happened in your life, but you can't dissolve yourself or disappear or give up. You have a child to raise. So that's one of those beaking lights in the world that says, get up off your butt. You have to keep going. And it, it feels unfair, you know, um, that we, you, it doesn't give you much time to do uh, you, you know, it's hard to do all that grieving. I can imagine, but because you've got to be there for your other child, you know, and how, how has your other child done? She's done great, but I want to back up one second to that, that pressure to get back to life is so intense. Even if you don't have kids, there are a number of, as you, and I talk about this also in mom search for meaning, there are parents that did not have other kids where it was their only child and they were perhaps too old to have another child or, um, uh, which is heartbreaking, but there's such cultural, culturally, we don't really allow any time for, for grief, whether you have kids or not, there's, there's a real expectation that you're, you're back in it. And while probably, while lying around in bed for months and months and months is probably ultimately not the the best way forward either. It's too quick. Most, most companies give three days of bereavement. That's not even enough time to plan a service. I I've met parents whose child was at camp or at college when, when they passed away and it, it's not even enough time to get the body home, much less plan a service and, all the red tape it's not even enough time to deal with and there's red tape even when they're two like like alice was even when they don't have assets or uh so it's just not enough time to even take care of the basics much less grieve so i, I just want to acknowledge that it's it it's really not enough time and there's too much pressure even if you don't have children that said yeah i knew i needed to i you know i also didn't I didn't feel like I needed to. I well, I did get sick um, two days after because I hadn't slept for two days and the cold had been through our house. And I did lie down a couple of times that two days after she died. But for the most part, I didn't want to. It's. I felt like I actually had to move it out of my body. I, I paced and paced and paced and paced um, while I wrestled with existential questions in, in my head. Uh, I cried while I was sweeping. I cried while I was driving. I cried while I was doing things. Uh, but you're right. There's not enough 
space for grief or anything unexpected, not, not just grief. Uh, there's not enough space for, for healing of, of any kind. And, you know, pardon my language, but shit happens. Uh, even if you don't lose a kid, we get diagnoses. We, we don't want family members get diagnoses. We don't want, and we, there's not enough space in our culture for really any kind of human experience. Well, um, there's not enough acknowledgement for the betterment of mental health, of, of no. bettering mental health and well-being. No. Um, so that is something that needs to change in our our specific culture in the United States. We're speaking that because other places in the world may honor that more. That I've not done research on. I don't know if you have, but I, I do know we don't we don't allow for that here in this country, and and we really need to. Um, we are talking today to uh, Melissa Monroe. I am talking today to Melissa Rowe and her book, Mom's Search for Meaning, Grief and Grief and Growth After a Child, After a Child Loss. Um, and Melissa is talking about her experience, which is is very important for us to share and to bring awareness to a very sensitive subject. Um, but it needs to be talked about. And Melissa has a heart and a passion for that because there are others who have loss. And um, like we're just talking about right now, there's not enough of honoring of these things, of going through this, of uh, taking that space and time for yourself, just to get yourself somewhat to baseline again, even that right above the water. So at least your eyes are above the water and you're not drowning completely. You know, um, you know, what do you want? What do you want people to know out there who have lost a child? what do you think is one of the most important things that's helped you get through what you've been through? I, I will say that the best advice that I've ever heard came from president Biden before he was president and whatever people think about Pre president Biden, I, I, I'm always uh, leery to share this example, but it really is the, the best thing, the best advice I've ever heard. Uh, in case you don't know, president Biden lost his young daughter and wife in a car accident just before he was sworn in the first time as senator and his two boys were were gravely injured he was actually sworn in in the the hospital and it happened a couple of days before christmas i believe and then years later he lost his uh, his son Bo um to brain cancer i be i believe so the man knows grief so we're not speaking about him from a political standpoint but i saw a speech that he gave to a room of family members who had who had lost children uh, in the military, uh, in, in military exercises or in, in war. And he said that this was advice that someone gave him to, to rate every day. And I think on his scale, one is the worst and 10 is the best. Rate every day from one to 10. And what you will notice over time is that the days that are one, the days that are the worst will become farther and farther. I have chills. This is so true. The, the days that are ones will become farther and farther apart, but there will always be days that are once. And I just thought that that was so fair and it, it provided hope and with also permission to have the terrible days because you don't really need permission. They're, they're going to happen so that permission is perhaps not the right word. Validation that the the days that are ones will, are going to happen, but they 
but you will have more breath between them. You will, you will perhaps have months between them, but they will always happen. And I think that's comforting to breed parents because there is a big, this happened to me. And I, again, I write about it in mom's search for meaning. There is an immense fear that it, as, as you feel the grief healing and yourself participating more quote normally in everyday life you can feel your body seize up and feel like you're a you're betraying your child by not remembering them and for some people the grief feels like it's all you have left of them and so it can become easy to to cling to it um and this is not a judgment this is i i i talk to so many breed parents and I, I don't know anyone that hasn't wrestled with this. So that, that advice gives you hope that it won't be a number one day. Cause in the beginning, they're all number ones. Like every, every second is, a, is not, is, a, is awful. And you don't know how you're going to live to the next second. So it gives you hope that the space between those horrible days will increase and that you can catch your breath and maybe, enjoy life from time to time with also the validation that when a day when a one day does come up as it will it doesn't mean you failed grief it doesn't mean you're failing as a person it just means you lost a kid you're going to have those days and it's okay and again there will be more space between it um it's the best advice that i've ever heard and it, it's it nothing i've ever read or seen rings truer to me than that. Mm, that is very, very important advice, uh, Melissa. And um, there's not much more you can say about it than that, but it is, it, it, there's a little beacon of light there. You know, um, I'm so glad you saw that. So that mm. you could, that could be this hope for you um, in your life. And, and who better to give advice than somebody who's been through that much trauma like he mm -hmm. has. I mean, mm -hmm. it makes you really feel sorry for him and sad for him. Um, but, but also to acknowledge that, you know, that's going to happen. It's going to be like that, but you, you're also going to be able to get through it and, and, and it may not be graceful and it may be really ugly and it may be, it's not going to be perfect by any means. Cause we're not, No, but nothing is and our expectation that it is that it should be is what creates all the problems. There's nothing wrong with grief. Grief is love with, with nowhere to go. Grief is, uh, I write in, in mom search for meaning that grief is love in the absence of the recipient of love. It is the phantom limb of love. Right. You love something that's no longer there. So the, the love doesn't go anywhere. Your relationship with, with their physical being obviously is altered the love doesn't go anywhere. So gr grief is not the problem. Grief is never the problem. Grief is a normal, natural, it's not something to be treated. And I, I'm an acupuncturist and doctor of Chinese medicine. And it's something I've told my patients for years and years and years before I ever lost a child. We, we don't treat this. We support this. This is what's mm -hmm. supposed to happen mm -hmm. if we, and if we live longer than my daughter did, all of us are going to lose somebody sorry, sorry to say, it's just true. We will all
will lose people that we care about. We will lose jobs. We will lose relationships. Life involves grief and there's nothing pathological about grief. When it becomes pathological is what we attach to that grief, that we have learned to attach shame to the grief or uh, the feeling that it shouldn't be there or that you have to hide it or uh, or we attach guilt to the grief or or anger. It's the stuff that we do to the grief. And it's partly earlier you asked how my daughter was doing and, and I segued into something else because I felt like I needed to stand up for the um, families that didn't have other children left behind. But my daughter was four when it, uh, Grace was four when Alice died. And while there's no perfect age to lose a sibling, if it had to happen, four was pretty good because she was old enough to understand that death was final and that we weren't going to see Alice anymore, but she was not old enough or socialized enough to do all of the things that we do to grief that complicated it. Right. She cried when she needed to cry. She asked me questions when she needed to ask questions and she got on with, with her life when, you know, she played when she needed to play and she stopped talking about it when she stopped needed to stop talking about it and she didn't feel any guilt or shame or obligation to to do it any other way and i let her do that and that, so i would say today she sadly um as i suspected because what do you remember from when you were four she doesn't really remember that well the experience of being a sibling which breaks my heart mm-hmm. which it was always my biggest fear but you know what do you remember she knows that she had a sister and she'll remember things if if her memory is jogged but she doesn't really it it doesn't weigh on her like it does me and thank god she wasn't home when it happened she was at preschool when it happened so she didn't have to go through the trauma of all of the police cars and ambulances and coroner and the you know all of the first, I mean, there were so many first responders in in that there was a six foot. I write about this also in mom search for meaning. I looked up at one point in complete shock and there was a giant six foot five or four fireman with his face pressed in the corner of my living room, just shaking and, and sobbing. And I, this is minutes after, and I thought, Oh, this is really bad. And and now years later, I'm like, of course it was bad. She was dead, but you, like it hadn't sunk in all, all the way for me. And because how can it? And she was fine. And then she took a nap and didn't wake up. It was, you know, just a massive, massive shock. And uh, seeing that fireman lose it was part of what made me go, oh, this is this is bad. Like these people see bad things every day and he's shaking in a corner and luckily Grace wasn't home. So she didn't have to see any of that, which I think would have greatly affected her relationship to the idea of Alice's death. Right. Well, it would have traumatized her, especially at that age, uh, because then she probably would have felt uh, more guilt that she wasn't able to fix things because yes. children at that age tend to do that. Yes. How old is, how old is uh, Grace now? She is 14. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 10 years, bless her heart. Um, well, um, 
she is um she was lucky in some ways um you know you touched on something i think is really important and part of that is um part of that is um that the the guilt feeling of not staying in the grief like you're betraying your child and that's a really important point because i i don't know if all people acknowledge that's what they feel no i don't think they realize what's going on and um uh one one perk of having been a too sensitive kid and a too sensitive an adult and is that I have never been able to ignore my feelings and another perk of writing. I, you know, I wrote pretty much every day for years afterwards uh, was very helpful to identify what was happening up there. And so it, it became, there was, there was a point a few months into it that I got stuck and and I even felt like I couldn't write and that, that concerned me because the writing was really helping me. And I realized, ah, the, as the shock and the PTSD retreats, the grief is bubbling up. And I was warned that that would happen. And what I noticed is as the grief as as the shock and PTSD began to improve and heal and the grief bubbled the pure grief bubbled to the top not that there wasn't any grief before but it was you know trauma trumps everything the as the pure grief bubbled to the top it became absolutely crystal clear to me that one could want to cling to it because it's all you because it's love and it's all you have left and there are a lot of people even when it's not a child have survivor's guilt where they feel like they, I can't enjoy my life because this person isn't here to enjoy life. And, um, I, I felt that very clearly. And so that week that I noticed that I just gave myself extra time. I went to work, I took care of grace. I didn't do anything else. Um, that in, unless I was moved to do so organically, I just let myself take care of of myself because I knew that that could really create a, a years or even lifelong problem. If I felt the need to, to clutch that guilt and grief, like some kind of macabre trophy. Yeah, that's, um, that awareness for you was really, really helpful wasn't it? And now you can help others with that awareness, even if they don't realize it's going on, it can be a part of the puzzle for them, uh, toward healing, you know? Um, out- yes, I, I hope so because I think it's pretty common, but it's, uh, I don't hear it articulated very often. Right. And so you're, you know, we, we are discussing Melissa Monroe's, um, book that she's written, um, after the loss of her child, um, and it's called Mom Search for Meaning, Grief, Growth, and Growth After Child Loss. You can get the book on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. Um, Melissa, I, I, I do want, um, you know, if there's anyone out there listening who would like to, um, you know, uh, support Melissa and what she's doing, you know, she's she's try, trying to talk about the subject of, um, and I want you to give the acronym again 
for everyone. Um, Sudden and, unexplained death in childhood or SUDC. Right. Because as Melissa was telling me before we got started, there, there's not a lot of information out there for families. Uh, there's not a lot of research about it. There's not uh, doctors still don't understand it. So if you're an organization or, you know, somebody or someone who'd like to, you know, support her, uh, and um, what she's doing and trying to get this message out to others to help those who might go through, be going through this or know someone else who is, then, you know, uh, please reach out to her. Melissa, where can um, every, anybody who's listening, you know, find you? And I'll put this in the description, but, but where can uh, people find you or connect with you? My website is melissamariemonroe.com. Monroe spelled M-O-N-R-O-E. Uh, M-E-L-I-S-S-A Marie Monroe dot uh, com and my website uh, my email address is there Dr. Monroe at Melissa Marie Monroe dot com and if you have interest in supporting the SUDC foundation they are SUDC dot org and there there is research happening but not enough there there is no government funding for this research so uh it's all private and it's not it's rare it's relatively rare so it there there isn't enough private funding to do all of the research necessary and we're probably looking for causes not a cause right. uh so sudc.org is another great place to go mm. So, you know, thank you so much for, I know we have to wrap this up, but I, I'm so grateful to have you, uh, to spend this time with you today, to share your story, to bring awareness to this. And, um, you know, I would love to have you back on, but thank you so much for, you know, sharing this with us, um, for talking about it and for helping to, you know, try to help other families. And um, thank you, you know, for all that you're doing. I'm, I'm really grateful to have met you. It's, it's a great honor. So. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you helping me get the word out about SUDC and my book, Mom's Search for Meaning. It means uh, a lot to me. I really appreciate it, Mary. Well, let's get you some support out there. And, you know, uh, we'll be back soon with another author on Cover to Cover. And thank you so much. And everyone have a blessed day and um, do something nice for yourself today, right? Yes. Every day. Every day. I will say quickly that that was one thing that I did from day one. I, I did what I told my patients to do. Like I will for one hour every day do something for my physical, mental, spiritual, or emotional health. And I think it made a big difference and mm -hmm. it will make a big difference for all of you, no matter what's going on in your life. Amen. Thank your you. own oxygen mask first. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that, Melissa. And um, God bless you. And um, we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for being a part of our audience today. Please subscribe, like, and share the podcast with your friends and tune in for the next episode of Cover to Cover for all things in the author world.